This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There will be spoilers in this episode specifically from the worlds Sarah J. Mass has created, as well as topics mentioning sex work, physical violence, and substance abuse. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing the ultimate training montage book, of course, Air Fire, book number three, or maybe number four, depending (laughs) on how you read them, from Sarah J. Mass in the Throne of Glass series. Selena is such a fucking badass. I continue to stand by my love, this statement. I stand her unconditionally. I love her. I don't know. I know you said that you were not sure who I was going to like just yet. And I know I have a lot of characters that I still need to read. But I think I'm just going to hold firm with this right now. I don't know if you think there's somebody else yet. <laughs> so uh, my question for you then would be, do you prefer Selena or do you prefer Aelin? They're one and the same. It's, Are they? It's, well, Selena is who Aelin had to be to kind of process her trauma and get through the last 10 years. I have a theory, but oh, no. that will that will come later. And we will speak about it. We will. We will not forget to talk about this point. Un- unrelated, can I just say? I mean, I have a couple notes. But one of them is, oh, maybe we'll talk about that later. But... I will say, I I was reading this book and I was talking to one of my friends and I just said, you know, I love, you know how much I loved it, a romance and a contemporary romance, but right now it just seems so fucking boring. I just want to be bitten and go to war and like slay some shit. And <laughs> I think like, wow, wow. And I would also... I think I'd rather be bitten by Faye than vampires at this point. And that's a whole different conversation. But I never thought that I that that's where I would be at where I am in my life. So we, we have we've turned the corner now. We need uh, we need more in life than than just a billionaire boss. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the plots of those books. It's exactly that. The billionaire trope. My boss becomes the the enemies to lover boss is really that's a really popular one. Although we do like enemies to lovers. Uh, I love an enemies to I mean that's number one trope. Enemies to lovers, one bed trope. <laughs> I mean you get you get this you get a one bed trope here. Yes. In Air Fire. Yes, but it, it doesn't feel as tropey. But I also think it's kind of funny how when they first have it, they have Rowan. He's like, he's all the way on the other. Like, they made it a point to say, like, he's basically hanging off the bed. (laughs) So you bring up Rowan. So I want to point out to everybody listening that Jessica and I have not thoroughly discussed this book before recording this episode. So I do not know all of her deep, dark thoughts about this. So, Jess, how do you feel about Rowan? Um... Oh, I feel like I'm so fucking basic. He's, I like him. He's so cute. They're so sweet together. Every time she describes Rowan, she's like, oh, I could smell him, the cool wind and pine. All I keep thinking is, of is that mucha pine gelato we had in Rome. Yum. And I feel like that's what he would taste like, too. <laughs> like, I don't know. You keep telling him, he's like, he's this cool breath of fresh air and pine like and that's exactly what the gelato tastes like. that's how i imagine he tastes well now that's all i can think about <laughs> it's the best it's my favorite thing in the whole world so rowan there is a bit of a controversy surrounding rowan and i don't know if you're aware of this. no i'm not i've tried to stay away from spoilers as much as possible somebody commented on my tiktok about rowan before i had like gotten super into it and i didn't read the comment and i didn't acknowledge the comment because I don't want to be spoiled. So 
luckily nobody's spoiled it for me. So thank you if you're if you are listening. I appreciate it. I love I don't like spoilers. I'm all about being surprised and having that raw emotion as Laura will tell you. Like I'm either screaming or crying or even at the end of this book as I was finishing it, I sent her a picture of me with teary eyes as Aelin saying like I'm going to rattle the stars and I'm like this is so great. Well, you bring up a good point about spoilers. You were spoiled going into this series about Rowan, the one big thing about Rowan. So about them being together? Yeah. Okay. Like you know that. That I knew. And I I don't know if I would have made that connection immediately. Like I would I have to think I would. I had the revelation with with Reese. So I I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't put the two together about Selena and Aelin. Yes, thank God. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> of course, everybody knows that Rowan and Aelin are mates, but in this book, they are not. So the controversy that surrounds Rowan is that he, I mean, he's violent towards her. In, I mean, yes, it's in a very, like, training kind of way. And, like, yes, he is very broken himself. He has all these issues that we learn about. But he, you know, he strikes her. He is horrible to her. He says just the worst things to her. And he, he hurts her. He hurts her very bad. But the the controversy kind of uh, is in comparison to Reese because Rowan gets a one book redemption arc right he starts off really awful in this book the first time we're meeting him it's this book he starts off terrible and then by the end of this book we learn about what happened to his mate we learn about why he is the way he is we learn that he is trying to piece himself back together and he has you know dedicated himself to Aelin by the end of this book and he's her loyal like I don't want to say subject but like I guess partner you know it's he's her first member of her court and the redemption arc is complete in this book right I feel like in this book also when he was pledging the blood oath to her it was very different than pledging the blood oath to Maeve because he was just in such a broken place that he was like well he just and he and it's discussed a lot in the beginning of this book about a male phase purpose is to protect to do this to do that and when his mate was murdered along with his child he still had that innate need to protect so i guess he just kind of defaulted to Maeve because that's kind of consistent for him or like just consistency and routine in general and when he pledged his blood oath to aelin it wasn't a matter of servitude in a way it didn't feel like he was doing it as like a subject it felt like because she didn't want it she goes i don't want this i don't and it feels more of an equal in a way i almost think of it as like cassian and as when they liked protecting Feyre, but then when they find out that she's high lady it just brought their how they protect her to a different level yeah, no, that to makes total sense. So as I was saying before, the, the controversy with Rowan is that he was so violent to her and then he does just a complete like change and then he's so devoted to her by the end of this book, but the relationship started off with this extreme violence. Is this sort of like a Stockholm Syndrome situation? Like they were isolated, just the two of them, you know, yes, there were other people at Miss Word, but they were together every single day for long periods of the day. And so there is a portion of the fandom that doesn't like this ship and, and will, you know, denounce Rowan, I guess is the right word, to anyone that will listen. So it's an interesting topic to bring up because there is a larger uh, percentage of the fandom that adores Rowan. The same could be said about Reese. Well, exactly, exactly. And with Reese, you know, he's very much the villain in Akatar, which we have an Akatar episode coming up, so we'll discuss that. But he's a villain in book one, and he's a villain for, like, most of 
you know there's a lot of gray area it's not so black and white um and you know it's not that i'm for the violence absolutely not but i feel like some of the physical altercations were part of training but i guess you can argue or there's a way you can do that without being so nasty and i remember texting you i go the things that he's saying you know, I hope that he regrets them. And even if he was saying them just to kind of incite something from her, I hope he regrets it, especially when he you knew he inev- inevitably was going to find out more about her backstory. I wanted him to feel bad. He said some really, really shitty things to her. And it was stuff that she was already telling herself. It was stuff that he had no idea that they were playing on repeat in her head that Nehemia was saying to her that, you know, conversations she's had with Sam. I just, he was a piece of shit and he still hasn't apologized for it. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, no. And, and that's, uh, that, that's, that's part of it. That's a big part of it. Um, so this being Sarah's first series, I think we've talked about it before, but you can see where she pulled things from this into her other series. Oh, yeah. I'm going to bring up the biting, obviously, um, because what does he say after he bites her? He says, there you are. Oh, I was so excited. It's like, oh, OK, because he's seeing her her true. I, I, I mean, yeah, I guess it'd be her true self, her face self mm-hmm. for the first time. And, um, you know, Sarah obviously pulled that and put that in Akatar. And it's just very interesting to see Sarah's evolution as a writer using these books as a baseline. And even um, somebody, I can't remember who, they were referencing Selena. I think it was Selena at the time. They were referencing her as girl. And I go, oh, it's Amryn. Oh, I missed Amryn. <laughs> so I think I think it's important. I mean, there's a lot going on in this book, but I really want to touch on Dorian because Dorian has a huge kind of arc in this book. I feel like Dorian grew as a person in this book, especially because, yeah, he I mean, he he really was isolated for most of the time with the exception of Saoirse. And he, he I mean, you saw the hints of it leading up to it in the previous books saying you know like oh you know he's he's looking more and more like a king and not so much a prince and just taking lead and being sure of himself and by the end of this book kale even says he has that internal monologue of i'm not looking at a prince i'm looking at a king you know and i i think that's really important that growth that he had and that self he he really had to work on it with sersha because he had no idea he him and his friendship with Kale was very splintered. And he, who is he going to trust? You couldn't trust anybody, especially when Nehemia was gone. Kale, he couldn't talk to. He had one person who knew of this huge secret and didn't judge him for it. Yeah, well, and Kale is super judgy. And I personally think he's a giant piece of shit. Yeah, how come there's so many Westfall fans? Kale fans? Is it just because, like, did you just stop reading at book two? Because even at the end of book two, I was like, Bleh. That's a really good question that cannot be discussed <laughs> at this moment. Oh, okay. It <laughs> will be touched on when we do other uh, reviews of other books. But um, okay. I personally think... This is me just being judgy now. Well, I personally think, and I will stand by this, that he's a piece of shit. And, I, you know, I don't care. I don't care that his relationship with Dorian is very strong and that at the very end it's like I love you like I get it like you're my king although I really when they were being all and I think this goes back to other episodes we've had especially our Crescent City episode where Danica and Bryce can say I love you and everybody goes oh are they are they lesbians are they lovers but here you have a bro moment of Dorian and Kale saying I love you and nobody's batting an eye I bet you Wattpad went shit crazy and has so much Dorian Kale ship fanfics because of that moment. And good. I really was like, you know what? I want to have them be a ship. They are. Okay. See, I'm not far off. Uh, you're, you're not far off. Those TikToks that are like, these people would have been a couple if the author had balls. Oh. Or the other TikToks that are like, you know, they did it. I just can't prove it. <laughs> I haven't seen the 
almost. But you know, because their relationship, because they were they were friends since they were children before, you know. And it just reminded me of the the Song of Achilles. Like that book, that relationship that they had known each other since they were children and they just developed this very strong bond. Yeah, I, I can see that. Or even like an experimental phase. They totally, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it, it's it's not said, but it's pretty much canon. Or even even when they talk about, oh, it's no surprise Dorian has like all these contraceptive tonics. Like, you know, they orgied together at some point. Well, you know, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but, you know, Dorian, I love Dorian. And I love Dorian in books one and two. But I really love him in this book just for his, like, iconic line in this book, which is, like, you can't pick and choose the parts of her to love. Absolutely. When he's talking to Kale about Selena. And then Kale's like, oh, blah, blah, you know, magic. <laughs> oh, Faye, whatever. And Dorian is just like, dude, fuck off. You either love her or you don't. You either love all of her or none of her. And the same thing could be said about him, like Dorian himself, talking about himself. Like, I, this, just, you're not accepting her. Like, you can't pick and choose what parts of me you get to love because now you know I have magic. You don't get to pick. I, I thought that was such an important line because it then, again, it, Where's the love? Where's the unconditional love? Everything has stipulations if you're going to pick and choose. I loved, and it was so early on in the book, too. I thought it was, you know, it just kind of set the precedence of the direction of his characters going, I think. And I like that it was said by a male character, too. Just, mm -hmm. you know, somebody just owning up to everything and being like, it's it's all or nothing, and, that, and that's how it is. And I find it very interesting that over the training that is being done with Aelin and Rowan, over the course of that training, he also sees all of her. He he sees her scars when she almost burns out. She tells him everything, more or less. There's a few things that she's she's not telling him, but he doesn't run. He doesn't balk. And even when he sees her scars in the bathtub. After she's burned out and she's like hunched over in, in the bathtub and he sees her scars and he has that like reaction, like who did that to you? And he turns on his heel and he leaves and he's flying around as a hawk, you know, whatever. But he has that inner monologue like, shit, I should not have done this. I should not have left her. She probably thinks I'm this huge asshole for running from that. And at that point, I think she had disclosed even some information of like people leaving her and just where she was with certain relationships in her life. And he had that recognition, like, not only am I an asshole, like she probably already has trauma from everybody else feeling left, even if, you know, even with her parents, like it wasn't their choice that they left her, but like she's been left her whole life by people. And here I am, another person. And he came back. He came back. Of course, we know that. Alien told Kaol and, and, you know, and Dorian that she'll come back for them. And, you know, she damn well better because of what happens to Dorian. Now, Jess, we haven't talked about this, but from your perspective in that throne room, what happened to Dorian? Dorian showed his hand unintentionally. Like, he just got so mad that Sersha was killed. And uh, I also have an issue with this when... And ever and many storylines, people make these barter. I'll do anything you want. Just don't hurt this person. And then they give all the information and they do it anyway. How many books have we read? And Dorian's a smart kid. He reads. He should know. And, and I don't know. Maybe it's the rose-colored glasses of wanting dad's approval of thinking if he if somebody came forward and obviously Adian did of sharing information, Sersha wasn't going to get hurt. And so everything was going to be fine. No, people still hurt people. And now now you gave the enemy more information and you still didn't get what you want. I don't understand. I don't understand that. But he showed his hand. He showed that he had powers. And and the whole scene is the king basically admitting he had no idea what was going on, but he had an inkling and he set up this whole gathering to see if who would crack under pressure, essentially. And they all did <laughs> 
Well, and now Dorian, of course, the the tragic thing that happens to Dorian is now that he has a Wordstone collar around him, and now he's being devoured from the inside out by a Vlog Prince, which is Ugh. horrifying, and, and it just ends that way. And he knew what the rings were doing to people, yeah. and now he has this collar, right? Ugh. So now, now uh, he's collared. So I, I don't know if I'm going in this direction. If it's the right direction. And we haven't even talked about it yet. We talk about the 13. We talk about the witches. And I don't want to say that they're a backstory. But this definitely seems like it's laying the foundation for future exposure of the witches, obviously. But maybe it could be said because, oh, because where the witches are, based on the map, it's close to where Kale is going. Yes. Where's Kale going? Isn't he going back to his... He's going to Aniel? Yeah. That's where we assume he's going. Oh. But... Because I know that they've been... Because I know that the witches have been training in the mountains and Aniel, when I'm looking at the map, is over there. So then I'm wondering, like, what the connection might be there. If Kale might go to the witches and talk about Dorian. Does Kale not know about the collar? You can't... Obviously, the witches weren't added just because. They're going to be in. So maybe they find a way to help Dorian get this call not just Dorian but this this evil vogness away or maybe when Selena comes back when she channels her fire heart how many nicknames does this girl have <laughs> she has a few and you have not heard them all yet <laughs> so she uses her fire to maybe get the collar off I don't know with the witches of course the witches are my favorite characters um the witches are going to Morath that's where the witches are going. Okay. And it's pointed out in the book that there are already people in Morath. Those people are Caltain, Duke Parrington, mm-hmm. and Roland. Right. So there is going to be a big convergence in Morath and something is going to happen there. So that is a really important plot point that is discussed at length. Some would say ad nauseum because they don't like the witches, but I like the witches. You always like the witches. Like, no matter, especially depending on how they're told, I feel like wherever, whoever's writing it, whatever show we're watching, like, the witches are usually pretty, pretty good. There is one exception. Are you going to say Bonnie Bennett? No. (laughs) Okay. No, I like Bonnie. I like Bonnie. Bonnie got better when Elena died. Bonnie and um, Damon's friendship is my favorite part of vampire diaries oh i do love their friendship especially when they're stuck in that 1990s world Mm -hmm. i think it's so cute which is that i don't like and this will go in the spoilers in the beginning of the episode i fucking hate a discovery of witches by um diana harkness deborah harkness fucking hate that show i fucking hate those books they're absolutely awful it's vampires for moms and it's it's awful (laughs) sorry i'm i'm like heated about it it's just ugh. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) I told you you were looking at Wyverns earlier, trying to get get an idea. I was doing hot girl shit. Jess is doing (laughs) hot girl shit. She was looking at Wyverns. And I I told her uh, that as scary as Abraxos is, and, and he is, he's a very scary boy, the fandom, we see him as toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. And I love that. That's my favorite visual. You know, he's like stubborn, but like sweet. And he likes to sniff flowers. And I don't know. I really like Manon and I really like Abraxos. Maybe because I'm desperate for a pet and I can't have one. (laughs) And she's got this big like dog thing. She calls him a worm a lot. I can't imagine when she's like, oh, he's just looking at me and then just goes back to sniffing flowers and doing whatever. And then he eats the goat and goes back to the flower. <laughs> like, oh, sweet boy. Oh, he's such a good boy. And, and, you know, he has his own struggle. I like the struggle of, of Abraxos, you know, coming from being a bait beast and learning how to fly and all, that whole story. Is that going to be developed more? Because everybody keeps saying, oh... He, you know, he's just a wyvern. They're not smart. They're not this and that. But him and Manon have a connection. And she hasn't shared with anybody that she knows they have a connection. She knows that he understands her. He has, like, that fierce loyalty to her. And are people going to find out? Is she going to openly share that? Is that going to be something that she keeps special with herself? That has already been discussed in this book with Keely and Petra. 
Oh, when 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 Kelly and Petra when that Wyvern died, right? And how Petra couldn't get out of bed, and she's very depressed. And Keely struggled and to hang on for life because she knew that Petra was still alive, and Manon saved her. And like that whole plot about the bond between the Wyverns and the witches is important and is use. I'm going to say the word useful later on in the books. Because Manon does say, like, oh, I hope people think I'm just doing this because of an alliance, you know, because they're both heirs. All right. So that's a whole thing. The Kraken witch that Manon had to murder in the Omega in the mess hall, that is an important plot point that will be brought up over and over and over again, simply because, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but... What the Kraken says to Manon, she says that they aren't born evil, mm-hmm. that they have hearts, but they're made into monsters. So that is, I don't know. The witches have a really fantastic story arc, but everybody really shits on them in Air of Fire because all anybody wants is like Rowan and Aelin and like Dorian, Selena and Sorsha and Adian. Like nobody cared about the witches in this book. And then everyone has to like go fuck and then go back and read all the witches stuff later on just to figure out what they're talking about. No, I like the witches. I just wasn't sure where it was going. And I think every time a witch scene portion of the book came up, I just I didn't know it where it was going. And obviously now that even though the little that I know now, it's not so much where it's going in this book, but setting it up for like a long-term thing. I can see where people's argument of not liking the witches in this book because you're just, you're waiting for something, but that something isn't going to happen here. And you don't know that later until later. Sarah plays the long game, as we know. So many books of this. And, and the the references that Manon and the spiders go through are all references that we know about from reading Assassin's Blade. You know, she's talking about the Queen of the Waste. Well, that's Ansel. She's talking about the traitor that, you know, lost 20 years of his life for the spider silk. Well, that's the traitor that, you know, Selena met. And then the traitors brought up again when in Miss Word, um, what's his name? The old guy. Emrys? Emrys. Emrys and his mate Malachi have the dagger with the lotus blossoms. That's from Iwe. They bought it from a mm-hmm. trader from the Red Desert. That's the same, tra- you know, like you don't notice those things. Or even with, I remember she was telling Rowan about Crusada and then thinking of Crown of Midnight where Selena was saying, oh, you know, maybe I'll tell you about the horse one day like that whole adventure and then knowing what we know from assassin's blade and then she's openly talking about it in air and air fire with rowan you're like there's that connection she still hasn't shared that whole backstory with anybody it's a long game it's a long game and i love that she's also (laughs) she's also very much like oh yeah i just totally she stole this horse this magnificent mare and forgets to drop the fact that she was terrified and she it wasn't she was being a badass she goes what are we doing we're not supposed to be doing and Ansel is just like you gotta go you want see where I see you I don't know how you're gonna get there (laughs) she never tells anybody the fact that she was it wasn't being a badass she was just scared to even do that we were talking and we were and you said that you were gonna dive into chapter 54 And chapter 54 is a very heavy chapter. It's filled with a lot of memories. Sarah likes to do a heavy chapter 54. Yeah, that has to be her mark. I go, is this, this has to be a reoccurring theme because 54 and 55, they go back to back because right after that, just like in Akamath where you have the heavy 54 and then I don't want to say lighthearted 55 of Akamath, but it's definitely not, I'm not going to even say emotionally heavy. 55 is what it is, 55. And And this one, it was much lighter because she came out of the detail of 54. She realizes she's Fireheart. She owns her fears. And Rowan's acknowledging that because all the noises are being made. And he goes, everybody talks about letting the fear consume you. Nobody talks about if you challenge the fear. And it reminded me of Feyre and the Ouroboros. Yep, exactly right. Exactly right. So I bring this up for two reasons. One is the theory that I want to discuss, but the other one is how did you like hearing Adian and Aelin make fun of little young Dorian 
for his like table manners and shit. I, I love that. that. I thought that was so great. I love Sass. She's like, why are you eating so weird? <laughs> and I could just, I see it. And I thought it was so perfect. I like Adian and Aelin's relationship. I really do. I hope they find each other. They see each other again. I know they're not killing Adian right away because King of Otterland wants to hold this over Aelin, not knowing that she's Selena, to bring her back quicker. He knows, and that's why he's so fearful of Aelin, because just like Nehemia said, like he knows that Aelin being around, he's scared shitless. That's why he keeps doing what he's doing. He feels threatened because he knows what can come from Terrison and Aelin. Doesn't know that she was living in, in his house the whole time. The whole time. Screwing his bodyguard and... <laughs> and almost screwing his son, but like son. They, they never... Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, Dorian, I love you. Wait, did Selena never make the connection of Dorian being her cousin? I don't know if it's expressly said, but we know. We know, but I'm just... Because it just made me wonder at the beginning of the book where Dorian was making the connections and he goes, did she do this on purpose? Did she infiltrate? Like, was this her plan the whole time? And I'm thinking, like, then you don't know. Then you don't know Selena because... And I told you that. I go, that's that's not what Selena would have done. And later he realizes he's, you know, without speaking with her, he was just, like, learning more about himself. He goes, who was I kidding? Like, that's not who she is as a person, you know? And he's still attacking his own, I don't want to say demons, but definitely coming to terms of, like, who he is and what this means for him and next steps. Because he still doesn't know much about himself. Well, and he won't because he's fucking collared with a demon inside of him now. So he's got to uh, work through that, which um, is very interesting and will be discussed later. But uh, I want to get to this theory because I know you in your notes, you were like, oh, this thing. But I have read this other theory. So your theory is your worst enemy is yourself. Right. Right. So do you want to expand on that? Like. She's in the pit of her memory. She's right. being attacked by the princes. The Vag, yeah. She's spiraling down. This is in Mistward when she's fighting the battle outside of the wall. And she's on the ground and she looks up and she sees Aelin. And, you know, Aelin's like reaching her hand over and she's like, get up, get up, get up. And you said to me, like, you know, your worst enemy is yourself. You have to like fight against that and like rise up and all of that. Right? Is that about right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rise. <laughs> so that was a really good point. But there's a there's another theory for that moment. Is it the theory that they think, like, it's her mother or Elena helping her in Aelin form? No. Oh, okay. The theory is that Selena dies there. Okay. So the theory is that the princes sucked her dry. All of those memories. Sucked every- Selena dry. Yeah. So everything that happened, like... So Selena dies, and then when she gets up, she takes Aelin's hand. She has now embraced, you know, she's accepted. She's become Aelin right. and is a completely like different person. And they say, like, she's a queen now. So she she went from all of that anger, all of that, you know, fear, like, because we're talking about the, the stages of grief. Like, so she she went through all of the anger. She did all the training. She She found acceptance by kind of embracing all of this pain and Selena died in that moment and she accepted everything and came up as Aelin. I, I can accept that. Right? I, I yeah. Totally, I totally see that. I totally... And embracing like who she was always supposed to be and who she always was. Right. Yeah. And she, like that, that, was, that was the moment where she was no longer Selena. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the last book of Selena Sardothian. Like we close the chapter on Selena in this in this book. So now I need to learn how to say Aelin and not Selena. I really like the name Selena, though. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, it's, it's, spelled, it's spelled a little funky, but like, you know. I, but, you know, I think that's part of the reason I also like it. Mm-hmm. It's different. It is C-E-L-A-E-N-A. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Uh, so so now, of course, she is. She is Aelin, and as Aelin, she goes to Maeve, and one of my favorite parts in the book is when she encircles the whole fucking city of Dornell with flame that does not burn. It's like, oh, bitch, you want to play? You want to build yourself a castle of stone filled with water? And then she's like, 
you can't burn my castle. She's like, well, I can fucking burn your people. Try me. I love that. Which I also thought was interesting because this whole t- I remember I had texted you and I said, I just don't understand why Maeve, she doesn't care about anybody but herself. She doesn't care about her people. She doesn't care about the land that she oversees. She obviously didn't help Miss Word when they, they were under attack. She didn't help Terrison when they were being attacked. So everything has been... And and Selena had said she didn't come 10 years ago. You really think and that was us like you really think she's going to help your own people. And she didn't exactly what she thought. So I love that she's piecing together and she figured out which which I also think is just brilliant. And I think any I I don't want to say mastermind, but I think if you have an enemy you get that backstory. You you do your digging. You do your research. And you, when it, when push comes to, she found out everything. She said, like, Emma, tell another story. How about another story tonight? I would love to know more about my aunt. I just play the long game. I'm all about that shit. It's pretty fantastic. I also like in this in this book, we are introduced to the cadre. We, we see, let's see if I can get all their names. I don't get their names, though. All of them. It's Vaughn. Lorkin, Fenris, uh, his brother, fuck, and Gavriel. Gavriel. So wait, we meet Rowan's brother? I didn't know it was... They don't... They haven't really gone into depth of who they are. They're not like brothers. They're like... Like brethren? <laughs> no, they're like like a band of brothers, like warriors. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, God, oh, I can't... Uh, Colin? No, it's not Colin. Damn. Lorkin, I've heard the name... Yeah, but I don't know much about him or what he looks like. I know through memes and stuff that's a name, and then I just keep scrolling because I don't want to know more. That's that's the extent of it. Oh, and and Fenris, 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 yeah, Fenris. He's apparently like again. He's another one that whose name I see that some people apparently like. You know, when he comes to having like, oh, this is my my favorite of the boys or whatever. Like, he's a very popular one whose name I see get tossed around, but I just don't know in what context. This isn't a spoiler. This is just a fact about Fenris. His last name is Moonbeam. Aww. Don't you just love that? I love that. <laughs> and I also think it's funny that his shape is a, a wolf. wolf. Yes! <laughs> ah. I like that. <laughs> It's just one of the, you know, we don't get a lot of, uh, well, in, in these, this series, we get a lot of names for a lot of people. Everybody's got a lot of names and titles. But, uh, you know, in Akatar, we don't get a lot of names. Maybe that's why everyone's so hung up on the names, because they're so used to people having last names in the Throne of Glass series. And, like, a shitload of titles. But, like, Fenris Moonbeam, we love that. I do like <laughs> that. so cute. Oh, man. Men are boring. Give me something supernatural. Oh, for real. And then um, it's it's important just to just to, like hit all the characters you met just very briefly. Elide in this book in a memory, right? And as we've learned, if someone is named, that's somebody you need to like kind of keep track of. So we know Elide exists. We don't know a lot about her, and we know that her mother, Marion was also very important to Selena and that uh, she... She's the reason she survived. Exactly. Yes. Yes. She's the reason that she bought Selena time. She got her out after the whole tragic, like, fucking murder of her parents. How horrible. Horrible. And then to go... And and, and that's what really kind of sticks with me. She went from that to waking up on the riverbank to fucking Arobin. And then from that moment on is trained as an assassin. She got no break. You know, she went from this horrific murder to being a murderer. And like, I guess there's empowerment in that being able to take care of yourself and and feeling strong. I'm sure that helped, you know, for a lot of the issues, but damn the trauma. Oh, 100%. And when has she actually, and she's never really confronted the trauma until this book. She's constantly running from it. and I, But also, rightfully so. I'd want to run from that type of trauma, too. But I also, yeah, she was trained as an assassin. But I like that Rowan brings it a point to bring that up, to say you have an advantage. You know, people who just rely on their magic, that that's it. Once they're incapacitated, they can't protect themselves. And she has that advantage. And also for people who don't know her, 
it's a double whammy. You know, she's this crazy quadruple threat fey queen who can be an assassin, who can use her magic, who can use different magical skills that she's still learning, because I feel like we still haven't seen the end of that yet, especially since now her and Rowan are canonon, canonon. They could kind of interchange each other's powers, maybe, or just tapping into their magical well. I don't know. But I think it's really interesting to see her continue to grow because, again, this is only book three. Or four, depending on how you count them. Or four. There's still a lot more books that have to read. You're, you're like half. You're half. You're halfway. Ooh. Oh, man. You were just saying just then about the end of this book. And the end of this book is she gets on a boat. And she's coming back. You know, she's coming back to Otterland. And Rowan can't go with her, obviously, because he's like a six foot two long haired fey male. And uh, he's like, I have another form. It's like, yeah, you're a fucking bird. Like, how are you going to help me over there? (laughs) She's like, what are you going to do? She's like, there's no magic. You want to eat some rats? That's cute. Yeah. I love that. So, So she's going back. I love her sass. I love her so much. You got me thinking about boats. There's a subtle Assassin's Blade reference that would get looked over if you weren't, you know, kind of tuned in where Ren and his grandfather are. Murtog. Murtog. They're talking about the reports that they got about where the towers are and what Rolf saw when he was in the Dead Islands. And of course, we know Rolf is the pirate lord from Assassin's Assassin's Blade. Blade. And he, there's a very, it's very quick. It's very throwaway. Like he's not interested. He has his territory back. He is, isn't going to help us, but he did see things like brewing out there. But now that they're gone because whatever was brewing in the dead islands, they sent over to Wendelin and that's what Aelin and Rome discover in the cave. And that's what they end up fighting and, you know, on and on and on. But that's a little assassin's blade tie in there that if you didn't read it, you'd just be like, well, I don't know who the fuck those people are, but. He's named, so I guess he'll show up later. But we know the the rich backstory. I feel like a lot of people who don't read Assassin's Blade and Tower of Dawn, I've openly seen them say, oh, you know, it's kind of confusing, but you eventually piece things together. Okay, but do you really want to piece things together like that? There's this whole other story. I don't know. I just, it, we've said it before. I want any little crumb of information when I like something. Even when Sarah posted that excerpt on New Year's Day about Azrael, and we're like, ah, like I, the whole fandom just has a meltdown. I'm obsessed. I, I love it. I'm so glad I wasn't working. To just be able to completely embrace that, I just want just a little, little crumb, anything, please. More porridge. Like, let me Oliver twist the shit out of everything that Sarah writes. There's a lot of books that aren't good. We read them anyway, just because it's not the best book in the series. Okay, read it and keep going. That's it. Just like Akatar. Okay, you don't you don't have to, you know, you read the first book and you keep going. I don't I don't know. Quit your bitching. Yeah, for real. And <laughs> the books in Throne of Glass do get better. We're at Air of Fire and they just continually get better and more emotionally like draining and just wrecked as we <sighs> go. That's awful. I was so proud of myself. I didn't cry at this one. I was just kind of smiling the whole time because I was just, I was so happy for her. I was proud. She was growing and she's confronting shit that hasn't been confronted in a really long time. And good for her. Like, that's hard. We've all gone through our traumas and continue to go through. And we either, we're probably still not completely acknowledging them. So I, you know, can I confront my trauma and become this awesome fire-hearted fae because you know maybe I'd, it'd be a little bit easier if i had something coming out on the at the tail end of it all she is aelin ash river galathinius and she would not be afraid ah so good it's so good just uh it's it's fantastic i i really like it so just what are your thoughts on this book do you like it did it live up to any expectations did you have expectations i I liked it. I liked it. I'm not questioning if I liked it. I liked it better than the first book. The second book, 
I think I was just emotionally putting the pieces together. So obviously we had me sobbing for no fucking reason, except I was really happy. Um, that's that was why I was crying. So I when I, in hindsight, that's why I was crying too. I was happy. And I was just so excited because that's where I felt like the adventure really picked up. Like, that's where the story started. And I haven't had a book. Akamaf was great in, in its own regard. And I loved that. And I we know how emotional I get over Crescent City and Akamaf and Akawar. But there's just something so different about this series that there, there isn't necessarily a found family trope yet. Because it's still really her. She's still figuring herself out. She doesn't know who to trust. People keep coming in and out of her life. There isn't anything. There is no rock or solid foundation she has. She is her own rock. And that rock's a little broken right now. You know, there's a crack in it. And she still needs to work through her shit. And I feel like the story really took off after Crown of Midnight when I was putting those pieces together. This one is, again, another another lay in the foundation. It's really cool seeing her come into her own. I love her starting to take ownership from the transition from Selena to Aelin. I'm interested to see how i mean who knows maybe there's going to be an uprising against mave because everybody in mistward want to go to terrison now that would be kind of cool i'm not looking at you because i don't want to see your reaction um i really you know her name carries a lot of weight and her name gives a lot of people hope and it'll be really despite like even when even when there was the massacre at Andavir and Calcutta and the orchestra still made it a point to take a stance against Otterland in front of all of high society in Rithold. And they played the songs of those cities in memory of, I think that's just, that's really just like the smallest form of rebellion and the biggest way and the biggest fuck you to to Otterlin, to the King of Otterlin, and I think, like, shit's gonna go down, and then everybody, it's it's gonna be fun. It's going to be fun. It's gonna be emotional. I, she's a leader, and we're gonna see more of that. Still not looking at you. No, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. I, I'm just thinking, like, I'm thinking, like, the king slaughtered all of those musicians. Um, oh, yeah. Because he's just such an asshole. Like, oh, all this just small dick touch energy. I cannot... Uh, it's it's just awful. Yeah, man, it, it it's really crazy. Um, this is a little off topic, but I'm currently reading Scythe, the Scythe series. I don't know the author, but it's very science fiction. It's very philosophical about killing and and death and the morality of it. It's it's pretty heavy. It's pretty good, but it makes me think a lot about what's happening in Throne of Glass and just the politics of everything and how like. Adian had to play this kind of double, I'm going to say double agent. That's not really the word, yeah. but, but you know, like a, like a two-faced kind of situation. And, and Kale finally. Well, Reese did it for 50 years. Right, right. So here Adian is doing it for 10. Not that it negates what he's doing, but that's, but, and it's on such a bigger scale too, because he has to fake battles every day. <laughs> To have fake corpse all along the property of Terrison. And then they're like, you know, yeah, you have the stench of dead bodies. But then they get up at the end of the day and they go home. Like, talk about everybody is playing the long game. And, the, and it's all about survival right now, too. Yep, all about survival. And I have to say, Kale finally fucking made a decision. I really don't like Kale. I've made that very clear. But at the end, he's like, you know, Dorian is my king. He finally puts his fucking foot down and he... He stops being a little bitch. stops being a bitch. But in the same breath, like, he flees. He turns on his heel and he runs. And, like, yeah, he gets the dog and, like, that's great. That's great. You know, get the dog out. He gets the magic books. That's great, too. But he, he leaves and he leaves Dorian and he leaves Adian. And at the end, it's just him and Ren. And they're like, yeah, well, fuck, it's just the two of us. Like, shit. What are we going to do? How does nobody know about Selena's apartment still? Like, I mean, technically it's Kale's because she's like, if anything happens to me, this is yours. But how? I, I don't know how nobody's made that connection. Adian was really the only one who goes, yep, this is my cousin's. This is her place. Well, I, I think because 
the last time that Ren and Murtok saw her, she was like eight, you know. So they don't, and that and that's kind of with Adian too. Like Adian has um. He has he has a keener eye, but he's got the face senses too. But like Ren and Murtaugh, they don't know her very well, or you know, even at all, which is important because as much as Adian has pledged his loyalty to Selene, he says it again, like you know, I just want to see her again. She's my queen, and then of course we have the typical royal thing where they were like, "Well, do you want to be king?" And he's like, "I'm not going to talk about being king, you know, or them getting married." Yeah, do they evade that question because he kind of wants to? no they when they were kids they you know they said like that's weird like it's weird but adian adian is steadfastly loyal and and you know we we appreciate that and of course we have rowan who is bound to aelin forever and then kale is doing whatever he's doing with ren so you know the the pieces are moving and it's it's going to be really interesting to see where everything kind of heads because as you said like what could possibly happen in the next book of course i know like i've read the series but i'm trying to like i know it's very, it's very difficult it's very difficult i will say that everything starts to tighten you know like we know that aelin's coming back we know where dorian is we know source is dead as fuck we know where the witches are going yeah i feel like the end of this book especially i mean not just the everybody in the room with the king of otterland i feel like the end of this book i even texted you i go things are things are i don't want to say falling into place but things are shifting movement is happening for the next phase whatever that is yeah it it is like the knot is tightening on everything and and it 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 just gets better and better. So I'm I'm very excited. I can only say that I'm very glad that Jesse decided to jump off the cliff and and take this journey. I'm so glad I did. I mean, it was never a matter of do I want to. I wanted to. It was a matter of am I emotionally in a place that I can do it. And I think it also helps that we're quarantined, we're home. I don't know if I could be doing this on my commute to the office. And <laughs> that really helps. It helps that I can. I haven't been listening to, I told you during work, because I've been listening to the audio version, if we haven't discussed that. I wouldn't listen at work because I want to pay attention. I don't want to be half listening. There's a lot of little things that are happening. I had messaged you again today about something. I go, oh, this is foreshadowing and I'm so upset and I'm already sad and I'm only in book three slash four. So <laughs> I don't I don't want to know. And I'm so it's I mean, maybe it's just me being callous, but it's nice to feel again. And I feel like I'm feeling again with the books. I've just been kind of like, OK, on to the next book. And now I am evoking emotion again. And I forgot that that was a thing. Well, and that's why we love reading, and that and that is why we read. Reading good books. Not all books will have me like this. Actually, there's only a couple contemporary romance books that I can think of that have had you even slightly like this. Just like two. I mean, I, I see The Hating Game, and I think my connection with The Hating Game is because first they describe the, the male, the lead male, basically as human Reese. And it was also the first book that I read after I was coming off of the fantasy high of Akatar series. And I was just, I need, I needed something that was light, but something that would make me giddy. And that was, that it was that book, really. That's the only one off the top of my head for a romance. The other ones that you, you know, I just send you voice memos of me cackling because I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, what is going on? In that vein, I can only recommend Addie LaRue. Addie LaRue had me clutching the stuffed animal that I have, just like silently crying. Well, and I had my headphones in when my husband is on the couch on the other end, just staring at me like, are you okay? It's <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and are you just like staring outside? You're you're staring at the, you're what, staring at Zugspitz? Yeah, yeah, like I'm crying. Yeah, I'm staring at the Zugspitz and I'm just like, Tears just running down my face, clutching the stuffed animal on the couch. He's just like staring at me like, oh, my God. When I I know I'm going to get to a point because I have that beautiful Rosie Thorns blanket you got me from Lit Crate Joy or Lit Joy Crate. 
We'll tag it. Shout out. <laughs> right now it's on my couch because I want it pristine, but I know I'm going to be just wrapping myself around it and just rocking slowly somehow. I should point this out. There are several reaction videos to the later Throne of Glass books. So shout out to Literary Libra and shout out to, oh, I'm going to butcher the name. What is it? Rose? Rosebud? Rosebud. Rose. Oh, I feel so bad. She's got, she has a book club coming out, uh, Book Buds. So we will tag her. You can check that out. She's done Akatar, Crescent City, and Throne of Glass. And she's starting her book club with Throne of Glass. So there are reaction videos out there. So Jess has done her own reaction videos. They are fantastic. But the theme of the reaction videos is they just get more tearful as they, as you move in the books. So to everybody listening, if you've seen Jess's reaction videos, just know that as we get later on in the series, they will devolve into probably just just sobs. tears. Yeah, just tears. Oh my gosh! I'm like I'm. Oh, and you know my reaction videos are pretty. I'm already crying at that point. So the fact that I'm going to be probably gasping for air, and I that's just that's not an exaggeration. I can't breathe. Oh man, it's gonna be rough. It's like I'm excited. I'm why am I so excited to be wrecked? You just want to know what happens, probably. That too. I'm curious with myself if I'm gonna start Queen of Shadows today or later today or tomorrow. Definitely, maybe today. And then if it's going to take longer between books for me to go into the next book, because right now I've pretty I've picked it up right away, and then. With Akamath to Akawar, I waited at least two weeks, didn't eat. I survived off of seltzer and maybe the dragon fruit mango tea from Starbucks for two weeks. They kept my sugar up. So I don't know. We will all find out together. And I think right before we wrap this up, I know, Jess, you wanted to mention a quote. Did I? You did. What was the quote? <laughs> Wait, continue. I interrupted no, you. No, you, uh, you wanted to mention a quote that really resonated with you the one you ordered pants about. Oh, yes. So I saw the quote from the first book and everybody talks about Rattle the Stars. And then in this one, in this episode, in Era Fire, I love that it just feels, I don't want to say complete, like full circle, but I love that Aelin, I was going to say Selena, <laughs> Aelin says it again and says, and then I'm going to rattle the stars. And I think it's, I, I mean, everybody focuses on the rattle the stars part, which is fine. And I ordered a pair of joggers from Chasing Chapters. But I love the entirety of the quote of you could rattle the stars, you can do anything if only you dared. And deep down, you know it too. And I think I'm going to why do I always have to get emotional about this stuff that like hits me so hard? I think it's just so beautiful that you sometimes again, like just like we can be our own worst enemy, we can also be our biggest cheerleader at the same time. And to know that you can do your own shit if you believed in yourself or you know you can do it and that's what scares you. I think oh, Sarah's like after my adult heart. I think it's so beautiful and it's important. And I think that's one of the reasons I love our podcast is we're reading YA from an adult lens. So it absolutely hits differently. You can't, you can, you know, sometimes these quotes are applicable for different points in your life. So if you are 13 or you're 14 or you're in that YA demographic, just hold on to these quotes because they're going to carry you. Like there's a reason people get the, the stuff tattooed. It's a reminder. A lot of it's just a reminder for yourself. Like that's really at the end of the day is know your worth and know what you're capable of. And if it scares you, maybe, maybe that means you're going in the right direction. You know, I don't know. I think it's just so pretty. I'm going to not try to cry. I know your eyes are so big and glassy. I was looking to see if the tears would start falling. No, I held them in. What did the kids say? My eyes are sweating. My eyes are sweating. <laughs> My eyes are sweating. <laughs> Well, I think that's a really good way to wrap up this episode. We have Jessica's absolutely emotional proclamation about how you can do anything <laughs> if you only try. And that is absolutely beautiful. And the lessons that we take from Sarah and her book series continue. There is a reason why people get this stuff tattooed on them. It's beautiful. 
feel free to follow us on Instagram at A-C-O-F-A-E podcast, ACAFE podcast. Our next episode, we plan on doing a recap of Akatar. We kind of broke it up this week, but as we get into A Court of Silver Flames coming out February 16th, we wanted to do a Akatar episode and then following that, we're going to just do a whole series recap. We know some people have been commenting on our Instagram of stuff that they want to hear us talk about that we definitely haven't added or discussed in some of our podcasts and try to clean it up and just remember what the hell has been happening for the last million years and what information or new speculations we have about Nesta, about Cassian, about Azriel, basically the whole inner court. So it's very exciting. So don't forget to tune in next week on Monday and we will have something new for you. Glad you could be with us. Bye.